Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Chase Schuyler. Chase had a near-death experience in 2008 that was filled with beauty, beings of light, and a vivid lesson. Today, we're going to learn about it. Chase, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's really an honor. I know you've been doing this for quite a while, and uh, so I'm very excited to be on here with you. Thank you. All right. As you may or may not know, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So if you don't mind, can we start on the day that yours happened? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mine was April 1st, 2008. I was serving in the United States Air Force. Um, quick backstory was um, I had originally joined the Air Force 2006, so I'd been in for two years by then. I started out as a SEER instructor and was injured, had a knee replacement or knee surgery. And uh, it kind of felt like that time was coming where, you know, I realized I wasn't going to be able to deploy because of my knee surgery. And, you know, you kind of start getting the feeling like maybe the Air Force is, is not going to need me around for much longer. So um, that time was coming by 2008. And sure enough, I, uh, I had a little chip on my shoulder. I was still young. And I thought, ah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have to show up to work on time. I don't have to, um, you know, be as responsible, maybe knowing that, you know, I wasn't going to get fired. I, I was, I was injured. And, you know, um, probably not obviously the right attitude to have. So that morning, April 1st, 2008, a supervisor thought that I was being late for work and she had a key to my dorm room uh, in Virginia and she found me passed out on the floor. So they transported me to the uh, Langley Air Force Base and they started running tests on me. They started, um, you know, they strapped me up, IVs, that whole thing, trying to figure out why the heck I was you know, face down on on my dorm room floor. Um, it says that I was out for maybe five hours, but you know, it's it's so hard to tell. I was I was by myself, and um, I can only assume I got up with my alarm clock, and then you know, based off the time that she found me. So I'm at the end of the hallway. You know, they're running tests, they're doing IV, they did blood work, they're sending everything back to the lab at the hospital, and they're just not finding anything. And, you know, the doctors and nurses, they're communicating with me and they're kind of getting annoyed going, you know, you're healthy, nothing in your blood, can't really figure out what's going on, can't figure out uh, why you were passed out. You know, they go through, you know, have you done drugs? And then, of course, the blood work, all that, you know, toxology, there's there's nothing in my system at the time because of my knee surgery. I was in very good shape because I was very conscious of not being able to exercise as much as I maybe, you know, would have prior. So, I really was in, in great shape. So it really didn't make sense to, to anybody why I was there. So they were really getting to the point that day that they were going to send me home. And they said, well, we're going to go get a mobile chest x-ray and we'll just make sure that your chest looks good. And then if that comes back, you know, we'll just monitor everything and, and send you on your way. Um, and that's really where the near death experience starts. Um, 
I was, you know, laying there. The nurse says, I'm going to go get the, the machine. And just within just a split second, maybe, you know, just a few seconds had passed where started to really feel like something you see on TV, something you see in the movies where, where tragedy is striking. My eyesight gets very, very blurry, and I would describe it as wishy-washy. Things are moving left to right, kind of in slow motion, but really fast at the same time. And alarms start going off, uh, you know, next to my bed. So the first alarm starts, you know, beeping really loud and aggressively. And um, I don't really have time to panic, right? So I'm, I'm just kind of watching all this happening and, you know, just all these blurs going on in my head. And I see the first nurse come running in, you know, confused, trying to figure out what's going on, looking at the monitor to my left side of, of my face. Another doctor comes running in. And before you know it, I mean, I'm, I'm at the end of the hallway and doctors and nurses are just sprinting down. Um, I knew that it was serious, but also in that time, I, I didn't feel pain. So it was really hard for me to to try to fathom why everybody was panicking, you know, despite me almost feeling that like pass out type feeling. Um, they They started to really get upset at each other in the sense of, you know, Again, like something you would see on TV, something you would see in the movies where they're shouting military jargon back and forth over my body, uh, shouting at each other, going, what about this? What about that? Let's do this. Let's do that. Something came, somebody came and sat to the, the left side of me while all of this was going on. And despite the alarms going off, despite the nurses and doctors talking to each other, you know, really yelling at each other, um, a very calm voice kind of sat down next to me put their arm on me and started stroking my left arm very slowly all the way down. And I could hear their voice saying, I mean, as clear as, as a, as a needle dropping in, in silence. I mean, it was just so clear that I heard this booming voice kind of say, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry. And it's somebody stroking my arm. And, you know, I was 19 years old at the time and, and the thought of maybe another guy stroking my arm right back then would have been strange to me, but it just was so incredibly comforting. I tried to look over to my left to see who it was and I, I was stopped. You know, the, the hand kind of stopped my face from turning and just said, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. And then I heard the voice to the left of me say, you have air traveling up your vein and it's going to hurt really bad, but everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. And as they said that it was like a speeding bullet traveling up my vein. It was one of the most excruciating pains that I, I've ever experienced personally, the feeling of air an air bubble traveling up my vein through the IV, um, you know, directly to my heart. It, it was it was painful. And then at the same time, that pain went away so quickly because the person to the left of me was just kind of rubbing my arm saying it's going to be fine. So it was very confusing, very perplexing to have an excruciating pain and then also feel a sense of beauty and warmth on my arm. Um, I tried to look over to my left again and no avail. I couldn't, I couldn't look over to my left. And it was at that moment where I looked at the doctors and nurses looking over me while I'm laying on my, on my back and I'm watching them watch me die, which is a very scary, um, you know, experience to go. This is what people look like when they're watching somebody die in front of them. Um, 
by the time that happened, I looked over to my left and the heart monitor had gone completely flat. And I very vividly remember watching the monitor just completely flatline on me. At that time, when I would have thought the day before that, you know, that, that instant, if, if I had a thought, if somebody had asked me the day before, what do you think dying feels like? What I experienced was just the complete opposite of that. It was such a beautiful, blissful feeling. The best way I could describe it to friends and family is having ice pour out of your chest. Um, the feeling of cold and, and light and love and uh, like a cold, refreshing drink times infinity or a million, you know, it was such an incredible feeling. Um, from there, I felt my body after watching me flatline, I felt my body kind of lift up. No gravity, just this beautiful, blissful feeling, you know, and I get goosebumps every time I talk about it. Um, and in my experience, it wasn't a tunnel like maybe I would have thought it would be like. It was it was almost like I was being carried up by other things, by by angels or fairies or just and music. It's just something that was swirling around me, kind of was lifting me up in the sky. And it just it sounded beautiful. It sounded like if you could jar up in a bottle kid laughter and accordion, you know, or not accordion, uh, like a harp and just bells. And it just, it sounded so beautiful to me. And so there was no fear. Um, there was nothing scary about it. There was, there was no anger. It was just, wow, this is just amazing. And I just remember looking around at that time, left and right and up and down, looking at my feet going, wow, this, this is perfect. This is perfection. As I'm enjoying that, I feel my feet land directly on dirt. You know, the feeling of dirt in my feet was as, as real as it is if I walk outside of my front door and step in the grass. I felt it, and I felt my body present again. And, you know, I'm looking around, and it's the most beautiful garden park you know i don't even know i feel like whenever i describe it it doesn't do it justice because it was filled with the most beautiful colors that we just don't have here it was purples and reds and greens and yellows and blues and i mean those are the colors that i know now you know that that we grow up knowing but these were just i wish i knew the names of them because it was just so bright and vibrant and it felt like the colors were actually alive in this beautiful park and it had grass and it had flowers and I had a little walkway path of dirt and directly up ahead of me, you know, maybe 15, 20 feet ahead of me, I see somebody in a robe walking and um, they're playing with a child. The child had maybe, maybe the child was four years old and had these little red golden locks, you know, down, down uh, past his ears and, um, the child was, I would say, pretty naughty in the sense of, you know, trying to run away and looking back and being, you know, cheeky would be really the best word. And the person in the robe was a, a man uh, with very curly brown hair and just um, white robe, just this beautiful presence and this little boy that were running. Before I knew it, I was standing right there with them. And I realized as soon as the person turned around that it was Jesus. 
And I, I, when people say, how do you know it was Jesus? It was as sure as I know that this is my left hand and this is my right hand. It was as sure as um, I know that my name is Chase. And it wasn't the person that I grew up thinking that he would look like. It wasn't the person that I've seen at church. It wasn't the person I've seen in books or the Bible or on people's jewelry. It was not, it didn't, he didn't look anything like that. However, I knew instantly that when he turned to me, that it was Jesus. Um, You know, I joked that the day before, if you asked me what a tunnel to heaven felt like, probably if you asked me the day before who I'd meet when I went to heaven, I'd probably say Elvis and we would eat cookies or peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't in my mind at that time. I was, you know, in the air force and I was, I was keeping busy with other things and it just wasn't a priority. So, um, you know, this wasn't the experience that I thought I would have. So Jesus turns and looks at me and instantly we're having this conversation without actually exchanging words. There was, we weren't speaking English. We weren't speaking Spanish. We were just sitting there communicating just by being with each other. Um, I look over at the little boy again and I realize that it's me when I was four years old back when I was four I had golden hair, which obviously is gone now. Um, and I, it's, I don't think of myself as a child with golden hair. And then I realized that's, that's me. That's me before I grew up. And the lesson that he was sharing with me in this moment when I'm watching this little boy kind of run ahead and look back and, and smile and laugh and giggle was that not only have I been there before, and I'm remembering a lot of things, it was purely about enjoying yourself. When when you're a little kid, you're just, you have no stress. You have no anger. You're just a happy little kid enjoying life. And, And that's what that little boy was doing. That's what I was doing. I was running ahead, being silly, being cheeky, being funny, and just, just laughing, laughing, laughing. And him and I again looked at each other. And, and again, I felt like there was such a deep conversation and a remembrance of so many things growing up in my life that it felt like this was where I was supposed to be. There was no, how did I get here? I didn't ask the question, what happened to me? Why did this happen to me? There was no martyrdom, I would say, of why am I in heaven? It was like it was like you and I planning to do this podcast today. It was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what's supposed to happen. This is a lesson. And I know that I've got to go back. And as I'm thinking those things, it's kind of like an agreeance. And, you know, he said, you know, it's, it's time to go back now. But I want you to remember, I want you to spread laughter, love, joy, and light. And as soon as he said that, it just felt like that was just almost like the Ten Commandments. It was ingrained in me at that moment. It just felt like that was almost tattooed into me when he said that. And as obvious as maybe some of those words are, again, at that time in my life, that was the the laughter and joy and and light and happiness. I was not busy trying to spread that to other people. So it really impacted me. Before I knew it, he let out this little side grin at the side of his face. And, you know, it was kind of like the the recognition that you would give to a friend saying, it's it's time for you to go back now. And I said, okay, I I know that we, we agreed on that. And before I knew it, I was eyes closed, weight on my body, 
almost like having a weighted blanket or somebody sit on you again. And I kind of slowly opened my eyes. Um, and I just remember thinking, is that a dream? Cause if it was, I want to close my eyes again. And I think everybody can relate to that when you have an, an amazing dream and you wake up, you just want to close your eyes one more time and see if you can go back to that dream again. And the reality was very quick that, that not only was it not a dream, but I, I wasn't going back there anytime soon. So I start to slowly open my eyes and obviously very confused at what just happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, as I'm opening my eyes and starting to try to figure out what's going on, I realize I'm not in the same room that I was originally in, in the, in the hospital. I'm in a completely different room and I see people walking past my hallway and I've yet to see somebody after, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute pass. I'm yet to see anybody in uniform and, you know, wearing their military uniforms like they were wearing on base. Somebody eventually comes in the room and I realize that I'm not on the military base whatsoever. I was transported from the Air Force base after my, my heart stopped to another civilian hospital off the base down the, down the ways a bit. And that was essentially their way of making sure I wasn't pronounced dead on base. So the nurse comes in and, you know, she's kind of looking at me pretty confused and, you know, just kind of puts her arm on me and says, I'm going to go get the doctor right now. Doctor comes in and, you know, while he's talking to me, all my brain can think about was I just met Jesus. I just, I just, wait a minute. So you're saying I died, you know, it's just, you know, you're young and you're trying to process everything. And the doctor's basically saying, we're going to send you back to the air force base so they can take care of you because you were just sent here. We don't really know what to do with you. Um, I didn't have anything connected to me then. I didn't, I didn't have IVs. It was really like my body was just laying lifeless in a room. And, uh, and somebody said, you know, give them, give them a little bit of time. So needless to say, the air force, you know, was, was going to come pick me up. And I said, I, I've got friends that will come grab me real quick. And I did what everybody rationally would do after dying from cardiac arrest. I said, we have to go get some fast food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, my friends picked me up. We got some, we got some food and we actually went to Washington DC for the weekend. And of course I told them, you know, Hey, I, I just died. Uh, I've still got my medical bracelets on. I've got all this going on. I just, I kind of need to get out of town and, and, uh, I posted on Facebook, this was 2008, so Facebook had been out for a year or two by then, and uh, posted on Facebook, hey, it's the night I died, here's a picture of me, and, and you could see bruising up my left arm where that air traveled up, that my left arm for the next two weeks turned completely black and blue. It was um, pretty pretty rough looking arm, and so I went back to the Air Force Hospital. They ran a ton of, of heart tests and um, you know, EKGs and echoes and all that stuff. I had to wear, you know, things for, for a couple of weeks at a time and they found nothing wrong with my heart at all. And, you know, I'm still confused going, wait, what do you mean there's nothing wrong with my heart? You know, that's, I, I went through this, you know, beautiful experience and, and you're saying that there's nothing wrong. And they just sent me an email eventually and said, no, nothing's wrong. You're good to go. So I was pretty confused. So that was April 1st to April 2nd. I woke up a day later uh, in the Air Force or in the uh, civilian hospital. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion there. There's a, a decent amount of tests. And then by then, 
by July 8th of that year. So just a few months later, I was actually retired from the Air Force. Going back, trying to find those records has been impossible. There's mention of the event happening to me at the at, on April 1st and April 2nd, justifying that I that this wasn't just a thought in my head or this beautiful dream that I went through. There's actual evidence of it. However, the actual events of you know, the air traveling up my vein, things like that were, were removed. And it's just something that I've discovered just within the last year. Um, coming back from a near-death experience is obviously, um, at the time I didn't know it was called near-death experience. I had never seen a movie or read a book about it. I, I don't think I ever had a conversation about it. So for me, I didn't know what the heck to do. I was confused. I thought if I tell anybody else this besides my close family and friends, people are going to think I'm either making it up or I'm crazy. And then, you know, when you're in the military, if you say, oh, I I met Jesus and, you know, you just think in your head, they're going to kick me out. They're going to call me crazy and say I'm unfit for duty. And I was doing everything I could at that time to really stay in. So I, I kept it. I kept it to myself. I shared it with ex-girlfriends. I shared it with really close friends. My family obviously knew because the Air Force called them um, back here in Florida. Um, but other than that, it was just, it was something that I kept very personal and very secretive. Um, you know, I regret it now, but, but obviously it all happens for a reason, but there was regret of, of not sharing it sooner. Um, you know, that now that I've been connected to this beautiful community of, uh, and knowing that this is a, a common thing and my experience is not uncommon in the sense of, you know, a lot of people have happened you know, things have happened to, to similar people and similar things. It makes me feel very good um, being able to have a platform, Jeff, you know, thanks to you where people can come on and, and share these things, I think are incredibly important because the more people that know about these things, you know, they might have a friend that this happened to or loved one or themselves. And it's just, it's so important to have a community of people to say, no, hold on. What you went through is very real and uh, and you're you're going to be okay. So that's my story. Well, thanks for sharing it with us. First, how did you get the embolism in your arm in the first place? Yeah. So they, my understanding is, and this has been something that was told to me just you know within the last year of you know really deep meditation and speaking to people who have a better connection with their their spirit guides and and you know. Um, spiritual beings trying to figure out what happened and multiple people have said that it was when the IV was in my left arm, Mm -hmm. the nurse must have messed with it somehow with the IV in order for that air to travel up my vein. It was Mm -hmm. obviously an accident. And I, despite, you know, I'm sure I could go back and figure out their names and, you know, I remember some of their names. I 100% remember their faces, but I, I hold no blame towards her. And I can only imagine what was going through her head, you know, if she knows that it was her that caused it, you know, what I, that she could have just killed somebody, you know? So I'm sure she never made the mistake again, but my understanding is that it it came through the IV and there was some mistake with the IV. Right. Did you ever find out why you were unconscious in the first place? No. And that's in my records. As I mentioned, they wanted to do a spinal tap to see if I hit my head, but there was no, there was no evidence. And like I said, they, they, their final test was going to be that chest x-ray. And then they were going to, they were going to call it a day and send me back home and just say, maybe he just fainted, you know, mm-hmm. 
that there was no no clear defining answer as to why I was laying face first on the floor. Now, you mentioned that when you realized that Jesus was playing with the boy and the boy was you, you said that you had been here before. What did you mean by that? Once I saw that garden and that beauty, I knew that this was somewhere where I went a lot. And it wasn't somewhere that was here in Orlando where I grew up. This wasn't somewhere, um, you know, that I had seen in a picture. This was, this was a place that I had visited quite often. And my, my belief is that it's not only Jesus that I've played with in the garden. Um, you know, I, was, I grew up adopted. Uh, my, really, my grandparents adopted me among um, another, another, I have seven siblings, um, and they're all incredible, and, and most of them are adopted as well. And so I believe that I, I had been playing in this garden with beings for a long time as an outlet of, you know, we're taking care of you, we're here with you. And, um, you know, just kind of a a memory, but it had been so long, I think, from being a little kid and remember playing in that garden to fast forward, you know, when I was in the Air Force, I lost a lot of my spirituality from probably high school until, you know, the beginning of high school, maybe even middle school, because, you know, I'm not justifying it, but I'm a a boy, you know, you start thinking of other things and my parents didn't uh, force us to go to church or anything. So it was really a decision that we all individually made and I made a decision not to for that time. So it was, um, you know, it was not on the top of my mind at all, uh, religion. So it was just interesting that immediately as that near-death experience happened, that everything was very angels and Jesus and guides and, and spirits. And it just all felt very, very common knowledge or very comfortable with me saying, this is, this is not the first time this has happened. I wonder if it was like a representation of a place you had been physically on earth as a boy, or maybe you went there as a child in your dreams. It's so likely. I mean, I, I've always struggled with, with sleeping, you know, I trying to go to bed and my mind races and, I've got quite the imagination when I was little. Um, so it's very likely that it's, it maybe is even a culmination of all my favorite things about every park I've been to into one little place. And it's something that I um, created, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but just that feeling I remember still. And every time I say it, I, I, I feel the dirt in my feet. And if I am not explaining my experience and I just talk about, hey, you know, let's go put our feet in the dirt. I can't feel that. You know, I can, I can go, oh, I, yeah, you know how it feels when you put feet in the dirt. But I, I can feel when I'm, when I'm sharing the story, I remember, you know, when I share about the ice coming out of my chest, I get that feeling again. When I talk about my feet being in the dirt, I get that feeling again. And it's very real then. So it is, it, it tells me in my mind, the way my mind works is that this is something different. This is something special compared to just a, a thought in my head. During your experience, besides mm-hmm. seeing Jesus and yourself, did you see any other beings? No, I never saw anybody by face. I'm very fortunate that I've not lost close family members in my life. Um, you know, obviously that that day is going to come. I, I love my parents very much. I love my siblings. Um, but during my near-death experience, I did not experience, um, you know, for example, seeing friends or family up there. It was really Jesus, the boy, and then the feeling of that tunnel being kind of um, 
catapulted almost like a tornado by beings, Mm -hmm. but I never saw anybody's face. It just felt like there were things, these beautiful things that were kind of traveling me up and they were very, um, you know, I didn't see, let's say uh, again, I didn't see a face or a figure, but I felt like they, they were winged, beautiful things of light that were kind of traveling me up, you know, catapulting me up with, with them spinning in these circles. All right. You mentioned that you were religious after your experience. Did it change any of your religious beliefs? Very much so. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always the toughest question to answer, right? I, uh, I grew up Catholic. We, as a family, we went to, you know, Sunday school and, and my family, you know, they used to bribe me with a uh, McDonald's, sausage biscuit. If I behaved in church every Sunday, we would get to go to McDonald's after. So I, I sat and behaved the best I could. Um, but you know, it wasn't something that, you know, my parents made me pray every night. It was really Sunday. And then the belief that there is something, you know, greater than all of us, um, somewhere else. So, you know, now after my near death experience, it did completely change. It was, the sense, and I always hesitate, I don't want to make it sound like arrogance, because it is a sensitive subject, but it is a sense that sometimes I know better than some of the things that I read. And I might feel in my heart and go, ah, that, that's not how I remember it, or mm, I don't know, I don't know if that's how I really feel about that, you know, where before you, you really have to take the word for it of, you know, these these beautiful stories that have been passed down. So I would say that I became far more spiritual after my near-death experience and much less structured religious if that makes does that make sense Jeff Mm -hmm. you know I like going to church now I feel uncomfortable because I go you know and I I pray all throughout the day now where before I didn't you know I I really pray and and I used to always be told that if you talk to yourself you're crazy well I guess I'm crazy now because Mm -hmm. I I constantly am saying you know hey what do you guys think about that? And then I'll stub my toe and I'm like, all right, I get it. Okay. Like, you know, there's, I get what you're trying to tell me. And there's, there's so much, there's a beautiful connection when you actually start talking to the things that you think are around you and there to support you. Um, But, but certainly when I'm in church or, or trying to go to church, I do feel um, hesitant because I'm like, well, are they, do they feel the same way I feel? And I don't feel like I have to go to an actual building of a church to feel like I'm super connected to Jesus, right. Or to God or to angels or just, just feeling good. I mean, I I do believe there's a lot of people who go to church still just for that feeling of beauty in them. And they might obviously have certain, you know, tons of hesitations of what they believe and what they don't believe. But, um, you know, in my experience, I, I do, I feel like I've become much more, spiritual and a lot less um or maybe more questioning of of some of the stuff i was told growing up so basically do you think that you died at the military hospital and they didn't want to report you dying there so they just shifted or transported a dead body to this other hospital and then you were just laying somewhere in a room dead for a while and then all of a sudden you came back that's exactly what i believe i believe that you know, me watching myself flatline completely. Um, and that was, you know, that was a, a process, you know, from the time the first alarm sounded to all the doctors and nurses coming in to that pain up my arm to me flatlining. That was the defining moment of I, I, I just died. Mm-hmm. So to wake up the next day in another hospital off base 
technically in a different city. This was, you know, Langley Air Force Base, and I woke up in Hampton, Virginia. And there's no doubt that they sent me off base to pronounce me dead. Um, you know, it, and and again, I have I have no ill will to the air. I'm such a huge military supporter and Air Force supporter, and more importantly, I'm a huge veteran supporter. So there's no ill will saying, you know, how dare they do this? I think it's for me. I got a beautiful lesson out of it. I had a beautiful experience. So um, no anger towards that, but there's zero doubt that, that I was sent to another base or sent to another hospital, especially because I didn't have it. I wasn't connected to anything. I wasn't connected to another IV. So it's not like they sent me to that base to try to revive me because I feel like they would have had me attached to some sort of equipment. And when I woke up, I was just laying in a bed. So, um, you know, I guess when you start doing the math, you go, okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty obvious that they sent me there and, and weren't planning on trying to, to, to take care of me at that point. Do you think that your body was alive before you actually came back and became conscious again? Yeah, I think that's, that's certainly a, a great maybe, possibility. Maybe you were yeah. sitting in a room for an hour or so, and then the, you came back to life, and then, okay, the guy's breathing. They just kind of left him in a room breathing. And then when you finally became conscious, they weren't really shocked, like, oh, well, he's back to yeah. life. Yeah, when the nurse came in the room, she wasn't screaming, you know, like, like she was watching a zombie, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, um, I think that's a really great question, that uh, perhaps they already knew that I, that I had started to show very positive signs of coming back and just wasn't conscious enough mm-hmm. because yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't this uh, movie esque sign of, you know, her walking in and dropping her clipboard and running out, you know, saying, Oh my gosh, she's alive. Right. So I do think that, that the, the shock maybe wasn't there and how nonchalant the doctor was at the civilian hospital kind of saying, we're going to give you, you know, he kind of just shrugged and said, we're going to give you back to the air force. Cause there's, there's, we've got nothing to do for you here. Mm-hmm. I've actually reached out to that hospital um, three times now. And they said, I have no record of me being there. Um, wow. But I've also reached out to the friends who picked me up that day, who very much remember, they remember where we went. Um, I didn't want to say the product, you know, unless, mm-hmm. unless it helps you get an endorsement, Jeff, but we wow. went, we immediately went to Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. <laughs> right after. And um, you know, so they remember that story. They remember picking me up there, but they, that hospital, sent me a sticky note just a few months ago, again, saying no record of this patient. Hmm. So, um, you know, a little bit of a cover up there. I find it interesting too, that you get released and you just feel comfortable enough to say, let's go to DC instead of like going back to another hospital. What was going through your mind at that time? I think there's a little bit of invincibility of, you know, I don't think it went directly to my head, like, well, now I'm like a cat and I've got nine lives. I don't think that was the situation. I think it was, I woke up and immediately I knew I had a second chance. And what can I do right now to have fun? Mm -hmm. You know, after that experience, and again, it really was, it was only scary for a short amount of time. So after, after the beauty part and after waking up and them saying, we're going to give you back to the Air Force, I just thought, I really want some Chick-fil-A and let's get out of town. Let's go have some fun. We took pictures, you know, which I obviously still have. And, you know, we had a, we had a great time. And then I got back um, over the weekend and, and went right back to the hospital and said, here I am, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, they did all this tests and nothing. So something in my mind told me that that experience of the, the air traveling up the vein and the cardiac arrest was all planned. There's nothing wrong with my heart. Even still, I just got uh, tested, I think, at the, the top of this year. And there's 
zero things wrong with my heart. Hmm. So, you know, perhaps I knew that in the back of my mind that I'm fine, you know, everything's going to be okay. And, and this was just a, a lesson that, um, that I unfortunately had to, to go through and fortunately had to go through, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I do think maybe it was my, my age, my immaturity and, um, a, a little sense of invincibility. Well, plus Jesus just told you to go have fun, right? Yeah, that's, you know, the laughter part, the laughter part really stuck out to me because it just constantly felt like everybody was laughing when I was in heaven with it, the, the tunnel up, the little boy, even Jesus was smirking and smiling. There was just such a sense of uh, really everybody was having a good time. You know, not, I wouldn't say it was a party atmosphere. It wasn't like a disco with a disco ball, mm-hmm. but really, I mean, is there any better noise than a little baby laughing? Mm-hmm. I don't think there is. I mean, that, you hear a little baby laugh, it's hard to be in a bad mood. And so the laughter part really stuck with me. I, I really, I love to try to make people laugh now. Uh, I'm sure I did, you know, when I was younger, but really there's, there's just, there's no better feeling than, than bringing a smile on somebody's face. And I think laughter is a great way to do it. So shout out to comedians mm-hmm. <laughs> doing a great job. Have you found that since your experience, you have any abilities that you didn't have before? Yeah, that's, we could probably talk for a few hours more about that, Jeff, but the answer is a a huge yes. Um, There was, there was a lot of times after the near death experience that I, I would say to people, I would tell them what was going to happen. You know, not lottery numbers, of course, like a lot of people joke, but there was so many instances of where I knew something before somebody else knew it. So my intuition, I would say just went through the roof. Um, being an empath went through the roof, uh, being able to communicate with lost loved ones of, of strangers, um, you know, being at a baseball game and watching a mom and two boys, you know, sit a row in front of us and me whispering over to my wife saying, she's lost her husband. She's really, she's having a tough time. I just want to tell the two boys, you know, everything's going to be okay. Your dad's around. I want to tell the wife, you know, the mom that he's here and he thinks you're doing an incredible job as a single mom, you know, and there was, and it, it killed me inside to not share that stuff. And so I started looking into it more going, I am 100% certain it wasn't just watching a situation, you know, and saying, I think this is what's going on. It was so much certainty in getting these sorts of messages or, you know, downloads, if you will. Um, and I just thought, wow, I'm wasting this. I'm really, I'm blowing it. You know, I've been given this incredible gift over time. Um, and if I don't embrace it, I would really hate to lose it because there's obviously a reason that I got to come back from heaven. Um, so there's been a lot of, I would say, beautiful gifts that I have, uh, I have really been able to, to use, you know, if, if people are sick, I feel like I have the ability to really help them. If people are sad, I have the ability to help them beyond just, you know, laughter. Um, You know, and I think that's, I think everybody likes to help people. Right. So I think it's a beautiful thing. And I do feel like maybe some of the things after my near death experience really just were incredibly enhanced. You know, there was before I started calling them angels, I would say to my, my wife now girlfriend at the time, I'd say, you know, everything's going to be okay. You know, your mom, she just has vertigo when she really thought it was something much more serious. She was going to the doctor multiple times. They told her it wasn't vertigo. And I'd say, your mom's got vertigo. She needs to go see another doctor. And sure enough, after all these visits and all this scare, it was vertigo. 
Hmm. Um, and she's in Australia. So that's the flag in the background here for anybody who's watching the video. I mean, there's just, um, there's a lot of different things like that, that have, uh, that I've pushed down like a, like a beach ball in the pool, you push it down and you can only hold it down for so long. And eventually it comes flying right back up. And now that I've really embraced what I've gone through, that beach ball is all the way up in the air now. And, and all of those feelings and gifts and intuition, they're very, they're very much here all the time. That's great. Now you mentioned certainty. Mm -hmm. Uh, after your experience, was there a time of self doubt? Like, did this really happen? Did I really meet Jesus? And if so, what was the turning point that made you certain that it was real? I think that again, awesome question. The, there was 12 years of, of fear. Really? I was, I really didn't want people to call me crazy. Right. And then I think about it and, and it's, Again, in a way, I'm ashamed it all worked out the way it was supposed to, but I really kept it to myself besides the people that I knew once they knew me well enough, they weren't going to judge me. So there was an extreme fear. I think the other problem that I've convinced myself of is that after the Air Force, I went to work in entertainment. And in my head, I thought of all the jobs I could have picked, entertainment is the one where it makes it even tougher to share this kind of story. Because then people are really, you know, again, this is me in my head saying this, people are really going to think I'm making it up now. Now I'm, you know, I'm working with TV and I'm working with radio and, and now I've really got to keep it to myself. So I felt like I dug myself in a hole of not being able to express this beautiful thing that happened to me. And it really was, it was purely based off of people are going to think I'm making it up. So why even tell anybody? And so Throughout the years, I would I would either say to myself in my head or pray to myself or even say to my wife, I'm waiting for that sign of why why this happened to me, what I'm supposed to do with all of this, what what I'm supposed to do with this information, with this gift. It really it would get to the point where it was really frustrating because I would I would be working a job and go, There's no way they sent me back here to do what I'm doing now. Like there's there's I'm I'm not doing something right, but I need a sign and I wasn't getting the sign. Um, until this past October, end of October, early November, I went on a, a, a wounded warrior retreat for, it's called Project Odyssey. It's a retreat where they send um, usually 10 to 12 veterans for five days to do um, like a, a wellness, wholeness, mental retreat where you work on meditation and yoga and team building. It's just a very positive atmosphere. I had never really done yoga or meditation up until that point, And I've never really opened up to anybody into that point. And so that five days when I got back from that retreat, that's where everything really, that's where that beach ball came flying out of, out of the water where I was so open to feeling like I finally had a purpose where it said, okay, now you saw how 12 veterans were healed using mindfulness and meditation and yoga and really trying to focus on, on, you know, making their lives better rather than, only focusing on medication maybe, or only therapy. I feel like there's a third, you know, pie piece there between medication and therapy. I think there's an important area for, for things like meditation and energy healing and just positive affirmations. So it, to me, it finally clicked and said, now you saw how these veterans were healed. Now you go do that. And since then, again, sharing this story, um, you know, being being featured in a book, I actually started going back to school in January this year, 2021, for alternative medicine. I found a college locally that offers it. So 
that retreat finally was the 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 key in the ignition to say now you know what you have to do and go do it. And I waited 12 years for that. Um, somebody kind of joked that I came out of my spiritual closet after 12 years, but um, you know I'm 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 here and and I feel like I'm finally on the right path. And there's no questioning of am I doing the right thing now? You know, am I what am I doing wrong? It's really there's a a, a bit of confidence in my shoulder saying. Now you now you know now you know you got twelve years to catch up on though so it's been it's been beautiful. Hmm. Uh, how did you get in touch with Claudia and being a part of this book? We touched heaven. Yeah, um, I actually. So as soon as I got back from that retreat, not only did I find out within two days that um, that I had a stepsister. You know, I'm, I was thirty three. I had no idea I had another stepsister. She reached out to me. I um, a girl went missing back in Virginia that I knew decently she had gone missing and, and I started feeling what she was feeling. And I started kind of channeling her depression and I, and I was able to figure out where she was. A lot of people, you know, were unable to find her and, and things were really, you know, whoa, you know, like what is going on now? You know, all these things are like, you know, spidey senses are, you know, going haywire for any, uh, you know, super, super uh, hero comic fans. Spidey senses were were just through the roof, and um, so I joined the Facebook group, and I and I started searching, you know, the term. By then, I had known the term near death experience. I started looking for uh, veterans. I joined a veteran group and said, "Has anybody gone through this before? Anybody who has died, came back, and is now experiencing these things?" Because I didn't know what to do with it. Um, you know, it's like turning an on sign, an open sign on at a restaurant, and not being able to turn it off, and people just keep coming, 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 and all these new feelings. So I joined a, a group and somebody sent me um, Lilius Molios, um, who I think you're familiar with. And um, and then somebody from IANS named Diane Co- Cochran, Corcoran, sorry. And, um, and both of them work specifically with veterans um, who have had near-death experiences. So somebody sent me a YouTube video. I watched the YouTube video. I sent her an email, you know, a very dramatic, oh my gosh, I need your help. I found your video. And uh, from there, Lilia connected me with Claudia Watts Edge and uh, just a huge group of people that have, you know, have kind of been in this club for a long time Mm -hmm. and who have just been so supportive, so beautifully and non-judgmental. And it was everything that I thought was going to happen when I started the sharing story, sharing the story. It was completely wrong. You know, I just thought there was judgment. And instead, it's people going, we're so glad you're sharing this story what can we do to help you? And and that's just been such a blessing. It's just been such a beautiful thing to, to have 12 years of fear and, and find out that it's completely wrong, right? So um, finding INs for me and the veterans group was just really uh, such a huge turning point. And then how I was able to be in the book. I've had a guest. I don't know if you know him. I think it's Bill Vandenbush. But I, I'm just guessing off the top of my head. But he has an amazing near-death experience story during battle of the Vietnam War. So wow. if you're curious about uh, veterans, you should check it out. Very much. No, and and that's you know finding it's not just veterans that I that I want to help, but hearing stories of other veterans certainly is you know some of them are are scary and kind of bring me back to my experience, but some of them are are just so beautiful and you know, there's, there's so many jobs that are dangerous, but, but veterans are certainly one that a lot of people think of, you know, if you're in the military, your likelihood of being just severely injured, you know, it doesn't always have to be death, but 
being knocked unconscious. I mean, the numbers of veterans, each year military active, they get traumatic brain injuries each year, which is such a, a strong ability to obviously then to have an STE or an NDE. Um, you know, it's just, it's, the numbers are, are terrifying, right? So I, I feel like the military, you know, while they don't want to acknowledge near-death experiences anytime soon, I think the veteran organizations that are out there, like Disabled American Veterans, Wounded Warrior Project, all those, you know, if they start, you know, at least asking the question, hey, did you have something like that, something very spiritual happened to you? Or, you know, you had this experience, you know, here's where you can go, here's support groups. I think that could be life-changing for veterans that are just getting out. Um, and those organizations are allowed to support those sorts of experiences where, again, I think the military is, is light years away from, um, you know, waking up from an experience and the, the doctor immediately coming in going, hey, did you have a near-death experience? Or, you know, hey, did you see G? No, they're never going to, they're not going to do that in my lifetime. I wish. Um, so hearing other veterans come out, and I just think it makes life, the more veterans that come out and share that story, I think veterans will feel more comfortable, you know, and, and just find help, you know, mm-hmm. find support anonymously, whatever they have to do, knowing, you know, my body temperature is always a degree or two lower than 98.6, for example, um, knowing that electronics break way easier if, if they're in my hands, my phones break every few months, my watches break, you know, any, any electronic I have breaks too quick. I mean, those are just two examples, but you know, a lot of near death experiences you get, these after effects, right. Mm-hmm. That, that come with it. And I, I always just thought it was me. I always just thought there's no way. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that can really help somebody. What other after effects have you had? I think, you know, I, I talked about the intuition, which I think, you know, the intuition, the empath type um, feeling, if I can feel, if immediately feel if somebody's in a bad place, um, you know, the, the degree, you know, the temperature is always, is kind of for me is a funny one. Uh, electronics. And then, you know, there's, there's people who now seek me in a room, sometimes strangers, and will just open up to me about a loved one passing away. And, you know, I don't call myself a medium. That's not, you know, that's not the label that I would use, but people approach me in that sense. And they want to share, my mom just passed away two days ago, and I wanted to come tell you. And then they even they they check themselves and go, I know that's crazy. I know, you know, I don't know you like that. You know, I just felt like I had to tell you. It was really important that I told you. And that's something I had to get used to because as proud of I was that I, hey, I have this gift and, and people feel they need to share something with me. I, there's not a lot of training out there to say, what do you say back to that person? You know, besides just being yourself, which I've learned now, whatever comes to mind and whatever I feel is genuine, that's what I have to share. But there was a, there was a moment in time where I thought, this is stressful. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to say something to upset somebody or to make it worse. And so I, I was, I was kind of worried about that, but that would be, you know, as far as after effects go, I think that's a huge one. You know, um, medication is really sensitive to medication. So I try my best not to take medication. You know, I'm allergic to cats, so I'll take a Zyrtec or, you know, something like that. But I really, I, I do my best to not try to do those things to alter um, you know, these, these beautiful things that, that I have, I, 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 I'm sure you, you might agree, Jeff, that there's probably a lot of people who have had spiritual encounters or just spiritual experiences that end up getting put on medication just simply from a misunderstanding of what they went through. 
you know, a therapist or a doctor might say, this person needs, you know, needs to be put on this pill when really that person went through something very real. They just got to talk to the right group of people to help them, you know? And I think that's a, that's, that's another goal, I think, for, for people sharing their stories that hopefully, you know, there's nothing wrong with medication. There's obviously a, a, a right place and time for that, but being labeled as crazy because you went through an experience like that is, is disappointing. When you have time, look up acquired savant syndrome. And okay. I kind of feel like near-death experiencers have this. It's a medically documented uh, condition where when a person has some type of neurological impact to their body, abilities kind of turn on and they don't know why. Yeah. And obviously you had a, an impact to your body and it looks like abilities have turned on for you. As soon as you said that word, it sounded like a word I've heard before. So I, I will 100% look that up. It, mm. Something that my, my family will tell me or my wife will tell me is it, it drives them nuts because if I see something I want to try to do, my goal is always to be the best at it and then I'm done and I could check it off my list. So I Somebody said, oh, you're funny. You should be a comedian. I went through classes. I got the headline of show in Virginia Beach cool. and then I said, I'm good. Um, I thought breakdancing looked cool. I mean, there was I'm the clumsiest person in the world. But I thought breakdancing looked cool. I joined a breakdance club. We got to do actual performances. And then I said, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, photography, I think, is beautiful. I got the camera and I started winning awards for photography. And then I, I stopped. It was, there's always a goal of, you know, don't regret. Go, you know, if, if you wanted to be something with your little kid, you don't have to, you know, if you wanted to be a garbage man when you were a little kid, that doesn't mean you have to grow up and you're disappointing your inner child, you know, by not being a garbage man. But there's, little girls that want to be ballerinas, there's nothing wrong with a, a 40 year old woman finally going, you know what? I wanted to be a ballerina when I was little, I'm going to go take a class. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go take a class on it. There's, I just feel like our little selves are telling us something, you know? Um, and, and we neglect it so much. Um, and that goes along again with, with the after effects. And then the syndrome you, you mentioned is just, you know, having all these things heightened and, and looking around going like, how can I make everybody happy? And, and what can I do? You know, how can I help and try to just achieve everything that, that everybody is, you know, doesn't always have to look like what you thought it looked like. Right. If you wanted to be a nurse, doesn't mean you can't go volunteer somewhere on a weekend and, you know, help teach CPR classes. It's there's something in you that says you want to help somebody. So go help, you know, yeah. um, I think there's something beautiful about that. Yeah, I agree. Besides, I guess you got a regular day job and now you're going back to school to do alternative mm-hmm. medicine. Do you got anything else going on that you want us to know about? You know, I, I, I still do. We do military sharing groups and I have a link on uh, my website. I always say I don't sell anything on my website. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to write a book eventually, but right now it's just got a bunch of links that you can click on, you know, that has uh, people who specifically helped me. So like a mentor or somebody who helped me with Reiki to try to help me figure out some of the stuff that I was going through. So I have links for them up there and there's two different ways you can get to it. Whatever is easier to spell. It's Chase Schuyler. So C-H-A-S-E-S-K-Y-L-A-R.com or my last name, C-H-A-S-E. And then it's DeMaio, D-E-M-A-Y-O.com. Both of them will send you to the same website. Um, but really I'm, I'm going to school. I've got the day job. I'm volunteering, you know, to help, hopefully that, you know, help veterans out with these military sharing groups. And um, I'm featured in this beautiful book by Claudia Watts edge. And she's um, she's incredible. And and the book is called we touched heaven and get it wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon, all that good stuff. So um, that's called again, we touched heaven. 
other than that, I just, you know, anything I can do, it, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you hear this and just a piece of it says, you know, Hey, I just want to, I want to reach out to chase, please do please reach out to me. Uh, you know, there's no ego there. There's no shame. I'm not going to take a screenshot and share it with people. It's just, it's very personal. And people do do that. I've had a lot of people reach out to me online and say, Hey, I'm just going through a tough time. And, and I try to work with that with them. And and again, I'm not a therapist, but I I do feel like, um, I do have a gift to, to, to help people. So if if you think I can help you, please let me try. Mm. Have you considered starting a Facebook page for veteran near-death experiencers? I think that's actually a really great idea. Jeff, I might have to give you like, I might have to put your picture up there, um, you know, on the main page as, as like a, you know, the, the genius behind the idea. But I, I do think that there should be a Facebook page. And I, as far as I know, from me searching just this past November, I haven't seen one. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. That's something I can I can try to do tonight. And, uh, you know, I'll be the first member. And if anybody wants to join, I think that's great. Yeah. All right, Chase, before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message that mm-hmm. you'd like to share with everybody? My positive message is chase the light. And what that means to me is do anything that makes you happy. So many people have stressful jobs, stressful lives, a lot of stuff going on in personal lives, whether it's... Um, family or money, just find ways to make you happy, even if it's just for a few minutes. I know it sounds cliche, but even though it sounds cliche to people, they're still not doing it. And so if there's anything that you want to do, there's with technology, if you want to learn how to make jewelry, if you want to try an art class, I mean, it doesn't matter if you want to take up comedy, there's everybody are in those classes because they want to get better too. And I just feel like some people are afraid to chase their light. And that is my one positive message is be who you're supposed to be. And the only way you can figure that out is by trying everything that, that you think is going to make you happy. That's a great message. Chase, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you. I wish you massive success with your new Facebook page and anything else you're into. Thank you, Jeff. It's really an honor to be on here. Um, You have such an amazing reputation for allowing people to share their, their beautiful story. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. All right, Chase, well, have a great evening and take care. All right, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.